On this episode of My Life at a Word Angle, I catch up with financial guru, infopreneur, and world traveler, Zanesh Pirani. This is My Life at a Weird Angle. I just wanted to say thank you for having me here, obviously. Uh, this is a great opportunity. But uh, yeah, just speaking about religion, I recently went on a meditation retreat and really learned about the inner workings of Buddhism. And that, that was really... Yeah, quite the learning experience for me and something like I feel like I could sh see myself shifting away from certain practices in Islam to start practicing certain things uh, related to Buddhism. Yeah, I think um, like faith is something we're all called to, but I think the practice of it is where it becomes individualistic. Yep. It's interesting that you say that because years ago I was studying Islam and, and wondering if, if God was leading me down that path. And, you know, I was open, you know, and, and studying and doing my due diligence and whatnot and, you know, going to the mosque and reading the Quran and stuff. But it it's interesting because I, I joke now that studying Islam made me a better Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. No, I, I, w I would love to hear more about that. And I just know from my experience that a lot of people do convert to Islam because, I mean, other than what's like portrayed on the media, we are a, or at least my sect is a, a religion of peace, right? Which is not really shown by, you know, extremists, fundamentalists, etc. But as long as, you know, something from exploring the religion helped you out being a stronger Catholic or whatever, I think that's a win-win for you. Yeah, definitely. It was an interesting little roundabout turn that I took, but yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Cause like it's it, for, for my sect, it takes years for you to convert. Like if you are marrying someone outside of your religion and that person wants to convert, technically I'm a Shia, Ismaili, Imami, Nizari Muslim. It takes years of practice, like learning the pronunciation of the Arabic words, learning the meaning of them, practicing in front of others in the mosque. It's almost kind of like a ridiculous process that is limiting in a factor. Yeah, it's um, becoming Catholic is, is, is similar because like it's not just something that they just let you jump into like on some Sunday afternoon, but okay. you know, it takes a lot of classes and, and, and our version of that is called catechism and it's yeah understanding like what terminology means understanding the views of this faith and um different practices and really understanding what you're getting into because they see it as you know a lifelong commitment with god not just something that you do on sundays you know yeah no that that makes sense to me and i'm just curious like how long is that process if there's like a, a time for it um it, it can be yeah a, a couple of years oh um, wow okay depending on i mean but that can vary depending on your availability as far as time and whatnot goes you know how much time can you actually spend with the priest how much time can you um spend in like meditation and, and study sessions and group sessions and um group conversations um about scripture and liturgy and things like that but yeah it, it can take it can take some time they usually tend to start it if you're a Catholic family already, when the kid is, is around, you know, elementary age with a little bit of the basics and stuff. And as you go along, you, you probably won't be confirmed Catholic for, for a couple of years. That's yeah, that's very interesting. That's news to me. And I guess from my experience, most of the folks I know, yeah, come or try to convert to this religion at a much later stage uh, in their life, like at, at a much older age, like in their twenties, thirties, forties, et cetera. Yeah, I actually am the first and only Catholic in my family and became so after my injury and but didn't become a confirmed Catholic until I was 25. Oh, wow. So, and like you're the only Catholic in your family. So, I mean, how does your family feel about that? What do they practice, if at all? Um, they were pretty skeptical at first because of, of just what, you know, of hearsay, basically. And a lack of knowledge about what the church practiced and believed and, and promoted and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, assure, I assured my, my grandmother at the time that it's all the same characters in the Bible, Grandma. It's the same book. It's just you know, a, little, a little bit different as far as, like, the practice goes and some of the other, like, deeper meanings and whatnot. But most of my family is practicing Christian of, of some sort. Okay. There's a lot to do with life that's not just do you believe in God? are you a nice person? You know, there's a lot of other factors in, in life. And, you know, some of the things that, that have happened in scripture, both in the Quran and to different prophets and whatnot, sometimes those still happen to other people these days. 
and some of those things were happening. I was having some of those experiences and wasn't finding any answers or help with the church that I had had gone to. And the Catholic faith actually helped me to understand some of those things that they've been, you know, understanding and dealing with and, and, and promoting and teaching and uh, researching and whatnot over, you know, thousands of years. So it really helped me to understand those experiences that I was having in, in a more profound way. And it just, I was just drawn to the iconography as, as a young child, but didn't know anybody that was Catholic growing up where I did and just thought it was for other people. But the more I, I studied, the more I learned, the more it just seemed like a right fit for me. That's so interesting. I think that's awesome that you kind of explored different religions and, you know, through discussions and practice and research, like you've made an informed decision and it's leading you in, in the right path. So like faith in terms of your direction, it seems like it's played a, a pretty significant role uh, in where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've always known that, you know, that there's a, we're connected to a higher calling or higher energy, higher, you know, whatever that you want to say about it. And I always knew that it was personal, but as far as like, you know, the real, I always also knew that, that a lot of the things that, you know, oh, we don't do this, they do that kind of thing. I never accepted, I guess, because even now, like my, my prayer life is partially in Arabic, partially in Hebrew partially in Spanish, partially in English. So I, I don't even know what that means. Like as a practicing Catholic, that's, is that normal or is that something you're just kind of doing? I think it just, it just depends on where you are. Because I mean, if I was a practicing Catholic that grew up in Lebanon, I would be doing my prayers in Arabic. It, it's, got it, got it. You know, it's just, uh, but it's some of the prayers that I, I got when I was studying Islam, I think they still ring true, you know, like, even certain phrases like I, my, my Christian wife says, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, sometimes, you know? Wow. wow. That's powerful. Um, because like, I, I see it as, as, as the same connection and it's still the words, because I understand the meaning of the words, they still ring true no matter what I quote unquote call my, my faith, you know? Got it. No. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful, man. So, but, and, and plus sometimes, you know, it's just a lot faster to say, you know, your grace over your food in Arabic than it is in English. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we look for convenience too. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, God is a God of solutions. So, you know, there yeah, you go. absolutely. Yeah. Even if that uh, involves decision fatigue or, or, or grace before dinner. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, definitely a, a global citizen when it comes to my faith, but Certain things do ring true, and there there are certain things that I won't compromise on as far as my my personal faith, you know that I, that are true, and I I believe in in these specific things as as far as that goes. But you know the practice of it, I think it's 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 nice to implement some other facets, and even like like you said, you know you're interested in in Buddhism, and you can see you walking down that walk, and I've I've spent some time studying you know Shakyamuni Buddha and who he was and what he believed in and whatnot and you know some of those things because it, it's there's a quote in my book that says you know be open to wisdom no matter the source and i think that's that's true for life in general yeah no and that's that's beautiful it's, it's so cool that you are taking the best parts you know or the essence of the best parts from every you know different religion you've explored to apply that to your daily life and i think yeah wisdom is is a key component uh, of religion, faith-based, you know, you know, followings, organizations, whatever. But I think embarking wisdom or always offering help and guidance is such a beautiful thing. And that's what I experienced with my guru. And I, I think I, I have a really interesting take on, on wisdom as well. Like, what does wisdom mean? Is the wisdom you're receiving actually relevant or powerful? And I had read this book called How to Change Your Mind. Uh, by Michael Pollan. I don't know. Have you heard of that? No. It's uh, it's a yeah, very interesting book. Uh, Michael Pollan is like a renowned journalist, and this is about like what the science of psychedelics teaches us about transcendence, depression, compulsion, anxiety, etc. And the way he explains it is like you know, for for me at least, most majority of my wisdom comes from my father, and he loves you know giving us these talks like telling us about his life lessons uh, and like where we can avoid making the same mistakes he did. And I think 
you know, that's all I'm, I'm listening to these conversations, call them lectures, and maybe I'm not sinking into them in the moment, but they're all recording in the back of my mind. Uh, but at the end of the day, like wisdom is the, the way I view vis wisdom is like, yeah, I'm getting it from my dad, from my mentor, but their wisdom, whatever they're embarking, that knowledge comes from their life experiences. And everyone's life experiences are so different. So you have to take all the wisdom you get with a grain of salt because, you know, if my dad has went through something significant and that's the wisdom he's embarking, that might, that might not be relevant to everyone here. So I think it's interesting. And, you know, the ego also gets into the way when embarking wisdom as well. So, I, yeah, I mean, long story short, I just I take wisdom with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, it's, it's personal to whoever's experience is, is, you know, it's based on. And, you know, that's just a tenement of life that I've noticed as I've gotten older is that, you know, life is extremely, extremely subjective, Yeah. you know, and it's, and it's all about your perception and how you perceive certain situations. But, you know, I always say, you know, just because I don't like that person doesn't mean what they said is not true, you know? So I have to look at that also, you know, does this ring true to me or does it sound like, you know, you know, BS. Right. And like you said too, like sometimes it's just ringing in the back of your mind and, you know, from studying, uh, you know, the way my mind works over the years after my injury, it, it's, you know, I've come to learn that your subconscious is always on record, basically. And your subconscious doesn't know, doesn't, doesn't look at things as right or wrong or good or bad. It just says, okay, to everything that comes in. So you have to be aware of, of that fact. And, and sometimes things take a while to marinate, to come to your conscious mind, to, to give you that you know, those, those aha moments about stuff. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And that's somewhat the way I was kind of preparing for, for, for the retreat, you know, speaking with this guru and, and my friend Cash, uh, who, you know, he, he won a similar retreat and he's like, yeah, whatever you learn, whatever wisdom you get, you take it with like a great assault, right? Like you can take some things or leave some things, uh, based on what resonates with you. And, I don't know, being in a new country and, and meeting new people, and this is something I'm, this is kind of deviating from what we were talking about, but something I'm trying to work on is like when I meet these new people, sometimes I like instantly already start to judge them or judge their experiences or judge their outlook on life, even if I don't know anything about their life, which is something you should not be doing. But as humans, we're kind of, you know, tribal, you know, these, these mechanisms that are, are built to be in tribes that's like kind of that psychologically that just sometimes happens. And I feel like now I'm more aware of that. But once you start talking to the, these peoples or getting to know them, it's, it, it opens a whole new book. And like, why was I even judging in the first spot? They have so much value, wisdom, you know, knowledge to add to my life. And it's just crazy, crazy to think about that. Yeah. And I think that that goes along with what we were saying the other day on, and when we were talking is that, you know, you were aware of those thoughts though, you know, like when you, you go to meet these new people or even when you see somebody from a distance, you already try to, you know, create some type of reality for that person, even before you know them. And I think it is, you know, it's a, it's a tribal essence. It's a, it's a safety mechanism in a way, you know, to, to assess a situation or a person before you interact with them. But that's good that you, you know, you're also not closed off to the point where it's like you're not willing to see them any other way. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. Because, yeah, it's, it's crazy how, you know, as a society, like how, how we've blossomed in, in, in a way. Like you see what people are wearing, you see their jewelry, their hairstyle, and you instantly create this persona, you know. Uh, but really, like, I don't know. That, that's what fascinates me the most. Like people come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different experiences, and they can still add value to your life. And there's there's no good reason to not talk to a person just because you're judging them from from their appearance. But yeah, super thankful that you know I'm finally aware of these kinds of thoughts. But something I've been thinking about lately. Speaking of being aware of, of thoughts, what what attracted you to to the financial realm? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when my parents emigrated from Pakistan to the United States. Uh, they're a pretty yeah, low income family, low income couple, you know, kind of living, living in poverty, found this great business opportunity, a convenience store, bodega, it's, you know, the, the quick mark, the quickie marts uh, of the States. 
And they relied heavily on like, you know, securing financial freedom uh, for themselves. And then obviously for, for me, my brother, their two children. And that was like a, a huge proponent of their life. And, you know, because of that, I was like, yo, do I, do I study finance? Do I study business management? I really wanted to go to culinary school. And my father was the type of person who gave up a lot of things, social relationships with his friends. He gave up, you know, more opportunity, opportunities to make more money uh, or to advance financially to spend time with his family. Because at the end of the day, like family is what's going to be around forever. Like he's created these four pillars, which has been so fascinating to me. And my mom, on the other hand, she has been driven by financial freedom and securing a financial future, which I think is fine too. You know, that comes with planning. And I think this dynamic they created wanted me to study finance. Uh, and it's opened, it's opened many doors and I've learned so much and Thankfully, and fortunately, I've been able to embark some of that knowledge uh, to others who perhaps don't know some of the basics around finance or refinancing student loan debt or, you know, finding an apartment that's within your means, within your income, but also understanding their acute pain points to help them lead a financially free future. Because at the end of the day, a lot of problems that people go through are rooted in financial insecurity, whether it's domestic violence or, or, or malnourishment or, or whatever it is. Uh, and if, if I can play a role to help those people kind of free their mind, that paralysis of, of not being financially free, uh, I think that's, that's huge and that can make a, a huge impact in people's lives. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, you know back to a little bit of the religion that, you know, some faiths or, or some people say that, you know, in order to be religious or you know, right with God, you need to be real pious and not, and not wealthy. And I think that's, that's so wrong because, you know, you can serve God and man a lot better if you have a lot of money. I mean, no matter how poor you are or how rich you are, your food still costs something, yeah. you know, you still have to pay for things. And, you know, understanding that in the last few years and, and just realizing that, you know, we're, we're all a victim in a way of our, of our circumstances of what we're born into, you know, the thoughts and actions of, of those that raised us, you know, as, as children. And, and some of the times you have to get past that and think, you know, like, do I believe this about money? Do I not believe this about money? And, you know, like you said, it, it does open doors, the more knowledge that you gain. And I think it's, it's a real, it's a real noble thing to, you know, help people understand money and help people, you know, get past the, you know, food to mouth lifestyle. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point. And just to, like, play devil's advocate, I think there's two sides to that coin. Yes, like, the more wealthy you are, the more, you know, impact you can make. And that's kind of how our spiritual leader is, is, is looked upon. Like, he's a very wealthy, he's a, he's a billionaire who also owns, you know, private planes, private yachts, but also gives back to the community, building hospitals, community centers, education centers, universities uh, in, in these developing nations. But... I think, you know, like for my mom, like although she wants that freedom, I don't know if it's to help people because the way, you know, in my community, Shia, Smiley, like Imami, Nizari, Muslims, they're very wealthy. Like we are, people compare us to, you know, and this is a stereotype. I'm not trying to put that out there, but like the, the Jewish sect, right? And where we have this money. And unfortunately, my family doesn't. And my mom sees that as a comparison point which leads to unhappiness. Like the more money you have, the more unhappy you are. And it, it, it just boggles my mind because from, you know, what I've studied and from the people I've talked to and just understanding that people in different parts of the world, again, based on where you're born, the situation you're raised in, the, the happiest people in this world are, are, are the poorest people in this world. And I'm not saying they are able to make that impact that you might be talking about in other people's lives, but I think that could also happen without money. And that just, yeah, a thought that uh, is a, re a recurring one. Yeah, it's a it's a funny little dance that, that we all have with money. And I think I, I heard this quote years ago that said, you know, money, sex and uh, religion, everybody expects you to be good at, but nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great quote. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it's definitely that because it's it's 
in a way, I mean, for for myself and for a lot of um, black people in this country, we were raised without a lot of financial knowledge. And sometimes even things like growing up in the South, like I did, children are really, you know, it used to be this thing where it's like you're you're meant to be seen, not heard. And, you know, I, I never understood credit or or anything advantageous to my life financially until I became an adult. And, you know, it just, it was always looked at as, you know, it's not my business because I'm, I'm not the adult. And that's really unfortunate because then it left me having to learn these things later in life. You know, thankfully the internet's around and I can, you know, I can learn really fast and I can learn for free, but you know, how, how much of that could have, could have helped me as I was becoming an adult, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you and I are very lucky that we have, you know, the world's knowledge, you know, at the, at the touch of our fingertips on our smartphone where we can learn that knowledge. And yeah, and thinking about the, the black community and how they've been kind of oppressed and historically the most excluded segment of our population that has been excluded from the financial system. And it's, and that's kind of why I'm doing the work I'm doing today. And it, it's, it's not even about, fi- it, it is in part about financial knowledge, but it's also about just the opportunity to, you know, embark that knowledge on your kids or, or your cousins or your family. Because, you know, I'm thinking about redlining and how that still exists today and how, how people who identify as black don't have the same opportunities as people who identify as myself, brown. Or, or Asian or white, because that's just how the system has worked. And it's, it's such a messed up system that doesn't work for the people. And if we can create a more inclusive financial economy, that's literally a win, win, win. It's, it's a win for the people. It's a win for the economy. It's a win for the government. It's, it's something people don't see these days. And I don't know what that's tied to. I have an idea, but I think uh, there's a lot of different aspects of, especially, you know, identifying as black and growing up in this nation, you know, what opportunities that has led you to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I'm baffled sometimes that, you know, cause really under the capitalistic uh, mindset or, or, or what have you uh, that the United States runs on, you know, mon- money is the, is the ultimate goal, you yeah. know, and, and everybody wants money. Everybody wants to have more money. You know, everybody wants that opportunity to get more money. And like you said, like when more people are at the table making money, it's better for everybody. And I think it's it just seems ill-advised and just like stupid, honestly, to not just spread that knowledge. Because even, you know, countries are, 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 are places around the world where women specifically are oppressed and, and not taught finances and money and, and even education their their gdp is like 12 percent lower than than countries that do like right. dude why would you just not do this this it just makes so much more sense that if everybody eats then everybody is better off and like you said in you know it also prevents a lot of violence and envy and and self-loathing and things like that yeah no that's <laughs> as you said that that baffles the mind and you know hopefully with these recent movements, you know, due to unfortunate circumstances is, is, is creating some noise, hopefully creating some, some positive change in the world where people do view the benefits of, you know, educating women, people of color in, in all facets of life, because all these, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just taking like a financial standpoint, but all these major banks in the United States, they're just out there to make that extra dollar or two. They don't care if they're bringing good value or good products or good insights uh, or tailored insights to their customers. They're just, they just want to make that extra dollar. And that's, yeah, it goes back to the point of, you know, being in a capitalistic nation. So hopefully, yeah, we see some changes. Yeah, I, I definitely think we, we will. And we are, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the world is going to God. It's not going to hell, you know, hell yeah. and each, each generation, you know, with knowledge being more readily, readily available with the internet, especially, you know, like my nieces and nephews, they, they've grown up in a world where color didn't matter like it did for me. And, you know, they have friends and family and, and a lot of different financial circumstances and a lot of different racial circumstances, different religious circumstances. And, and they don't see it as a reason to 
not be friendly with that person. They just see it as something different than what they do. And I think that that right there, that ability to see people as other people or not as the other, but just as, you know, people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, that, that says a lot about where we're going as, as, as a, as a race, as a human race. Yeah, no. And that, that kind of goes back to the point where, you know, seeing someone on the street or, or, or meeting someone new and, and judging them when really they can probably add, add value to yourself, to the economy, to the world, et cetera. And it's just so interesting to think about this because, you know, my parents owned this gas station in, in the hood of Rockford, Illinois, which is at, at one time, it was the ninth worst or ninth most dangerous city in, in the United States, uh, the second worst in the aggravated battery. And predominantly the customer base, you know, 90, 95% were, were black people. And my parents just created this perception, this viewpoint, uh, this persona of, of black people and kind of generalized that. And I think that was, you know, I, I've had so many heated arguments with my parents because of how they judge black people and, and, and their lifestyle choices or, or the way they, you know, spend their money. And it, it led to conversations where I cried, where they cried and, at the end of the day, like they only know, and this is, it all comes back to the wisdom too that they embark. Like they only know what they've seen, right? They don't actually know what pain points other people are facing. And my mom and my dad's financial pain points are, yes, they're valid, but they're not nearly as bad as the financial pain points related to, you know, people identify as black in the United States. Like it's like my mom and dad, they have a roof over their head. They have two paid off cars. Like you guys are living a good life, you know, compared to a lot of other people. And yes, you should not always compare. Comparison is a thief of joy, but just in a way to be more grateful in life. Um, and I, I don't know where I'm going with this. That might be a tangent, but something I wanted to add. No, it, it's definitely valid, you know, and, and I think a lot, of what's helping these days is the veil is being taken off a lot of people's eyes about how prevalent and systematic some of these issues have been. And I find it interesting when people say, you know, even the president right now has has said, you know, this isn't who we are. This is not, this is not America. This is not American values to behave like this or to treat people, you know, negatively like this, especially, you know, black and, and Asian people that are in the media right now. And I'm thinking, no, this is exactly what America is. Like, America was founded on utter violence against brown and black people. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the American value. We just have to change what American values actually are. That's a, yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And that is certainly an extraordinary vision that I hope we can fulfill one day. Yeah, and and I, I, I love the way I mean, not a lot of people have read the Constitution, but I love some of the language in it because, you know, they say things like we uphold these high ideals. They know mm-hmm. that they're high ideals, you know, and they know that America is, is a great experiment of what if. What if we came together and what if we saw everybody as equal? I'm sure they knew even when they were writing it that, hey, we don't see everybody as equal, but what if? And I think that's a good jump off to success in general is just to ask yourself, what if, you know? And when my injury happened, all I had was I was I was only able to blink and talk and think, you know, I couldn't even eat solid food and I couldn't feel or move anything. And I just had to ask myself, you know, what if what if my faith is true? What if God does heal? What if I can have, you know, a life after this? What if I can be successful? You know, what if I get it all back? What if? You know, what if, what if, what if? And I think that was a good jumping point for me to just, you know, figuratively at the time, but now literally taking the first step. And, you know, with, with you, with, with um, going from, you know, the knowledge of your parents to jumping into different areas of finance, you know, you had to ask yourself, I'm sure, you know, what if, what if? Yeah, no, I, you cut off for one second there, but I think. Oh, sorry, my, my wife, I cut off for a second. No worries. No worries. Uh, you can hear me? Yes. Yeah, no, I think asking the what if is is really important. And 
I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me of, of someone I listened to. Yeah, we, we talked about Tim Ferriss and, and fear setting as well. And like, what if, yeah, you do this and, and you don't know where it might lead. Like actually like thinking about the worst possible scenario, the worst case scenario. And my dad has kind of instilled this habit in myself too when making, you know, major life decisions, quote unquote, or, or any kind of decisions what's the worst that can happen? And if the if, if you can plan for that or if you can envision the worst case scenario and still get through it, then why not take that leap of faith? Why not, you know, take that step in that direction if it could be a learning lesson? And before we get more into that, like, you know, you're talking about your injury and your past. And for at least uh, the folks I'm going to introduce the podcast to, and for folks that may not have heard your story, I would love it if you could just give like a brief intro of yourself so, so they have some context as well. I broke my neck in a spinal injury jumping off of a boat dock when I was 17. And it was actually my first time at a lake. And <laughs> I read that. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I listened to that. When I was like, it was your first time. I was like 30. Yeah, I, I was saying, yeah, my injury happened when I was 17, jumping off a boat dock. And, you know, I grew up on the East Coast with the ocean. So, you know, if you're 15, 20 feet out on a boat dock, in the ocean, you know, it's, it's 15, 20 feet of water and right. lakes aren't like that. You know, it can be give and take. You can be out a hundred feet before it gets that deep. And I didn't know and that. You and hit I thought, like 36 inches, right? If I'm not mistaken from what I read. Yeah, it was, yeah, about 36 inches where I landed and, you know, I dove out normal head first, you know, with my arms out and dislocated my right shoulder and then landed on top of my head and crushed the fourth and fifth vertebrae. And at the time, I didn't know it was that bad because, you know, I, I've been in fights and I've been hurt. I've been, you know, knocked around in football and stuff like that. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stunned because I was conscious the whole time and was just in the water. And I could hear people talking and, you know, my parents saying, oh, he's just playing. But I was thinking, oh, crap, I'm going to drown if they don't grab me. You know, I can't I can't move. Everything just felt really heavy. But it wasn't until they grabbed me that that break actually happened because, you know, the water was keeping me um, everything buoyant. And, you know, they pulled me out, put me on the boat dock and stuff. And that's when the pain just started skyrocketing. I mean, it's like breaking every bone at the same time when you break your spine. And, uh, yeah, they sent me to the hospital and I was in the hospital for almost six months after my surgery and in a halo and, you know, no feeling, no movement below my collarbone. And it was just a, a, a punch to the face, you know, a reality check of, you know, all the things that I had built up to that point were just were just gone. You know, my, my football career was gone. My track career was gone. My girlfriend um, at the time ended up having an abortion because she didn't know what to do. And, you know, I just lost it all. And I was 17 just laying in the hospital trying to figure it all out. But because, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, God has more faith in me than I have in him sometimes. And, you know, Jesus showed up at the end of my bed and said, hey, if you, you know, change things around, I'll give you your life back. I'll, I'll you know, your body will be restored and I'll give you more than you can imagine. And I just said, OK. And, you know, that was my day one. And he told me that everything that I did and said and uh, thought would count. You know, it all be measured out and it all mattered severely. My life was, was extremely important. So I just said, okay, to that too. And, and, and started believing basically. And it started with that. And I think the day after that happened, I got feeling back head to toe and the doctors were just baffled. And I've just gone from there and just spent that time in the hospital. And it, it took me about five years to just be able to lift up a pound. And to even put a shirt on by myself. But, you know, I just kept at it and kept working and, and kept trying and, and kept saying to myself, you know, like we talked about before, what if, you know, because I had these ideas of becoming a, a fashion designer and having my own label and not just for label's sake, but, you know, something that was more to it that actually empowered and, and lifted up women because I, 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 was used to being the the head honcho in class and stuff, you know, six foot four, black guy, athletic. But, you know, now I was, you know, basically four foot four in a wheelchair and skin and bones and had to refine my voice and refine 
my my everything. And, you know, in that perseverance, it really built me into a person of, of value and somebody who hates accolades. I would rather not get told thank you or you're great because, you know, I know vanity is the first sin and I'm, I'm really cautious of, you know, what I do and what I say, but it, it's really created me, given me the opportunity to, to co-create my life with God in a real powerful way. So it's, it's weird to be thankful for such a tragic event at the time, but, you know, it was definitely the catalyst for, for greatness in my life and really restoration with my parents and whatnot, because I was also at the same time as, as doing great in school and good grades and athletics, but I was also in the street and selling drugs and stealing cars and, you know, going down those, those negative rabbit holes. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And just what stuck with me was, was through that experience and, and the journey you've been on and how that served as a catalyst for greatness and, and where you are today and what you're doing today is, is truly inspirational, Milan. So kudos to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it turns out that, you know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, even if you take the religious aspect out of it, the Bible is such a practical manual because it's, it's almost like a, a warning of things like, hey, there's a pothole up there kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, and it tells you, you know, that the things that you gain from perseverance are so worth it. You know, you'll, you'll look at the pain as, as, as nothing. You'll look at it all as rubbish, as it calls it. And, you know, that's, that's true because since my injury happened 20 years ago, I've been in fairly severe pain 24 hours a day. And just the ability to get past that and just, you know, think clearly, have peace, be able to be constructive and, and productive, I think is, is something that's beyond me. And I'm appreciated. I, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, that's, that's truly a blessing on, on your end. And that, that, yeah, that just reminds me of, of what I learned in, in the recent, you know, Buddhism, uh, I guess, experience I had where it's just like all things in life are impermanent. Right. And, and kind of like per persevering through those, through those different obstacles uh, and, and through those pain points, I think that that's key. And that, that also kind of reminds you of stoicism as well. Thinking about Marcus Aurelius and, and the others who, who experienced all this pain, but never really showed it, but went forward with the pain and that pain manifested in a beautiful way where they're able to view life differently, you know, treat people differently and still take risks to, you know, advance their life forward. So it's really refreshing to hear that. Right, because it turns out, you know, like all these cliches we grew up with and things like stoicism and what, whatnot, that they were true. You know, they stand the test yeah. of time for a reason. And, you know, life is, is so much of, of just your perception. You know, you can perceive, you know, two people can go to the same movie and both come out with totally different responses. <laughs> so amazing. You know, and it's, it's all about your perception. And, and that goes with your own self. Because, you know, like Einstein said, you know, life is an illusion, albeit a persistent one, but it's still an illusion. And, you know, you can co-create your life with, with God and connect to that power and, and really be, in a way, above these circumstances. Because, you know, Christianity teaches that, too, about, you know, the things of the world are, are temporary. The things that you see yeah. will pass away like anything else. But, you know, certain truths and, and, and you know, your faith in God are the only things that will last forever. So it turns, it, a lot of things seem like ass backwards when it comes to religion, but when you let them be true and just, you know, go with it, it turns out that it's more true than you can imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, Albert Einstein must, must have talked to some Buddhists because that's exactly what they preach where, where everything is an illusion. It's like seeing, you know, a mirage in the desert, you know, this too shall pass. And yeah, that just yeah brings me back to the impermanence of life and, how to adapt to that to lead a, a more meaningful and a more mindful life. So that's, that's great right. here. Yeah. And it definitely frees you up to, to, you know, not be so bogged down when things hit the fan because, you know, right. most of, most of these major religions let you know too, that, Hey, life is not supposed to be easy. Life is not supposed to be, you know, fun and games and rainbows and unicorns every day. And, you know, that, that's why we, you know, we love the Avengers is because not because, you know, they're so great all the time, but after Thanos killed half the world, they still thought to themselves, okay, now what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's, and, that's so true. And they figured it out. And like, that's why we love those movies because not because they, they had everything easy, but because they didn't and they, 
they stuck together anyway. And yeah, that's, and, that's definitely a, like a vehicle, sorry to cut you off, a vehicle to just, yeah, free the mind, liberate the mind to really, yeah, like these things, these negative things, these positive things, these neutral things are happening in your life, but you can still, you know, be present in all of those moments and go on with life. You know, I, I think that's, there's something spiritual about that. Yeah. And it's something very powerful and just joyous, you know, like, you know, people, once they, once they know more of my, my story itself and they're even more, you know, almost in disbelief, like, how are you happy and not, you know, shooting heroin all the time? You know, just like, you know, I've just, I've just decided that there's a better way and I've connected to that better way, you know, and, and I did it and I did it for me. And that, that's, that's the best part that you did it for yourself. And I feel like, you know, I, I already know my parents would be asking you the same question. Like, how are you doing what you're doing today? How do you have this mindset today after what you went through? Because that's, you know, debilitating to people's life experiences. Like that's when you, that those moments is either when you lose faith or you embrace and like, you know, yeah, when you embrace the faith and, and go with the flow and like you, you definitely took the latter and it, it's, it's, it's gotten you to new heights. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Bible talks about, you know, having the faith of a mustard seed. And I think it's in, it's important that people know that aspect as, as well, because, you know, a mustard seed is, is one of the tiniest that exists in the world. So it's like, you don't even have to have it all figured out. And I think too many people think that they have to have all the answers figured out and all the how and the why and the what and the when and, and all that figured out in order to move forward. But that's not how it works. Yeah, you just have no. to have en enough you know, believe sometimes in just yourself, even when the world tells you no, that, you know, it's worth taking another step. So, but I, I want to get um, some more questions in with you. And one of them is, you know, how do you, how do you personally go from thought to action? You know, you're telling me about this new retreat and that's not, you know, it's, it's Buddhism. It's not, it's not Islam. And you're telling me, you know, you're living in Medellin, Colombia now, and that's a big jump from the United States. Like, how, how do you go from thought and thinking about something to, to action and, and actually doing it? That's a great question. And I'm, uh, I'm still trying to figure out that action. I uh, like to think I'm uh, an extemporaneous, that's one of my favorite words, individual, uh, where I just kind of think about myself, my life situation, you know, my age, my marital status. Uh, my investments and like, can I take the risk to make another, uh, to take another step in life? But outside of that, I've been doing, it's, it's pretty consistent. It's weekly mental health chats with my, with my two buddies uh, that I met back in yeah 2013. Uh, but we just started the men mental health chats a couple, or sorry, yeah, a, a year ago. So yeah, m many months ago, right when the pandemic started. And that's when I felt like I wasn't really taking action. Like I was always having these thoughts. And after talking to them and listening to different podcasts, they taught me about consistency bias and consistent action. And consistency bias is where, you know, you tell a friend or you tell someone you're close with that, you know what, I will be happy. You know, I'm, I'm a happy person. I'm a happy person. Or, or, or I'm not drinking or I'm not smoking cigarettes, whatever it is. And when you are, you know, physically or, or virtually, you know, these days engaging with that person, and they see you smoking a cigarette or having a drink, like, hey, like, thought you said you're not doing that. And that kind of plays some tricks with your mind where you actually don't do that. Um, and and I've, I've been able to explore that in, in different ways where it came to taking actions to leaving a job that I'm making good money, I'm comfortable in, I'm not really being challenged, but I'm still, you know, developing some skill sets to taking a completely different move, taking a pay cut, moving to South America to, to, you know, focus on fintech social impact, but it's really taking little steps every day or, or every hour or whatever, playing it into your schedule and, and seeing where that goes. And I've learned just from this experience by being intentional in my life and taking the steps to engaging with different people, to learn new things, to create opportunities, really has 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 been fruitful in, in so many different ways um and i guess like coming from my background uh with with my parents you know and like we talked about fear setting for a while or 
my dad's like, take, you know, whatever decision you want to do, like, please, you have the luxury to do that. You know, you don't have a, a kid, you don't have a wife, you don't have a mortgage, you know, you're not financially insecure, you're not, you didn't just immigrate into this country. And like, what's the worst that can happen if you decide to take this decision? Um, so having that mindset and just telling people you're happy because you're making a decision to be happy or you're making a decision to leave your job to start something new, I think has been really helpful for me. Yeah, I, I think that that's huge, you know, and looking at it as, you know, what is the worst that can happen? Oh, you know, I, I might lose a few thousand dollars. Okay, fine. You know, but like you said, you don't have, there's not a lot else that you would risk, <laughs> you know, and I think it's, it's worth going for. And I think, you know, a lot of times people look at things like, oh, you know, I'm scared or, oh, I don't know. But yeah. I don't think, and I'm always telling my kids now, like, those aren't good enough reasons. You know, that's not a good enough reason because I think it's supposed to be scary because I think it awakens something in your brain. Like, it heightens your awareness of things. And it gives you the opportunity to excel and to, and to come through. And I think when you do, when you say yes to yourself, I think that's a powerful tool to say yes to yourself next time. And the more you do it, you know, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward you're willing to, to go for for yourself. That's, that's so true. I'm glad you're, you're teaching your kids this at, at a young age. And, and you know, the, the, two, the two guys that I talked to, Derek and Sam, they've consistently said that, like, Zon, you need to bet on yourself. Just bet on yourself, just the way you said. Say yes to yourself. And when you can get outside that comfort zone, and this is cliche, but, like, that's where the magic happens. When you're forced to think differently, you're forced to interact with people that don't think with you. You're not talking to your friends that have been OG for, you know, five, ten years. And I think that's really when you truly unleash and unlock the creativity uh, of your brain and your mindset. Yeah. And, and that's the whole premise behind this podcast. You know, my life at a weird angle, you know, when things aren't like they've always been, you know, and now now what are you going to do? And I think it makes you more creative, you know, and like losing everything and having to rebuild my life from scratch physically. It just forced me to be more creative, which only served me in my business, in my relationships, in my, you know, my walk with God. It just it just opened my mind up to more possibilities and to always look for the solution, you know, to always look for the solution, always look for the angle, always, always look forward because I know that, you know, I've gotten this far and yeah, bet on yourself. I think it's so interesting that we'll get all bent out of shape if somebody else treats us like shit, but we won't take the time to treat ourselves really good and to really bet on ourselves because, you know, you can do way more than you thought you could because think about the, all the things that you've done in your life up to this point. You know, when you were five years old, you never thought that you would be, you know, able to do X, Y, and Z or even know what mathematics were. You know, there was a time where you struggled with multiplication, you know, yeah. but you just kept with it. And it's just like now, like you're really batting a thousand if you look at it, because <laughs> nothing stopped you. Nothing's killed you. Nothing's deterred you from moving forward. It might have, you know, it might have had a cut or a couple of stutters here and there, but that's fine, too. It just heightened your awareness and just like, yeah, like I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to go for this. And like you said, you know your own skill set. So you have to trust in that too, that I can make a difference here. So I'm just going to go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, that, that is something I want to believe in. I'm, I'm still struggling, you know, with, with that thought. But I mean, the, the way you think and, and the, the wisdom, you know, you're kind of embarking on your, on your children. And you went through such a unique experience. And I hope no one has to go through what you did. But I really hope that everyone starts to think the way you do with that, not even that growth or goal, you know, the growth mindset, but the goal mindset as well. Because what I, what I, I've been listening to a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And, you know, once you, like people have this, you know, we all know the, 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 the classic fixed versus growth mindset. But then people kind of move on to that and they feel like they've graduated to a level where they have this goal mindset versus a growth mindset. And people have these goals in life. Like once I, you know, hit this much in revenue, you know, for my business, once I buy a house, once I'm able to retire, that's when I can start living my life. But really, once you hit that goal in life, once you have that goal mindset, you kind of plateau, right? But when you have that growth mindset, you're always looking to get into uncomfortable situations or situations when you 
can be vulnerable and learn something new and consistently grow. So I think that's it's, it's such an interesting kind of balance that we're all trying to create with our lives with that growth and goal mindset instead of the latter. Yeah, I, I'm always, you know, I believe in self-investment. And I think, you know, when you look at it, my dad was telling me not too long ago that, you know, the likelihood of anybody being born is like one in 1.9 trillion. Crazy. And, <laughs> and, you know, obviously life decided that you will be here and that you have certain gifts and things to fulfill. So it's like, you know, life itself, creation itself, God himself already decided yes, yes to your story. And, you know, I, I think that's, that's what's helped me too in my, in my faith walk is that, you know, I know that scripture tells me that God has a plan for me to prosper and to succeed. And I'm down for that plan, um, regardless of, of the twists and turns that happen. You know, just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not right. And just because I don't know all the, all the ins and outs doesn't mean I shouldn't take a step forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so happy you said that because, yeah, my, my former partner, Jackie, uh, out in Boston, like said that, like, Zon, like you, whenever I would question myself or I get into my own head or let my feelings or emotions get the best of me, she's like, you are one in literally a trillion that, you know, made it to this earth, made it to like having life. And it, that's, yeah, another a good way to think about, you know, the opportunities we have and how we can make the most of this life in a mindful manner. Yeah, definitely. I love that, that, you know, throughout this conversation, you've talked about your, your mental struggles or, or where you are, the things you've said to yourself and whatnot. And I think self-talk is, is so huge because you are the person you talk to the most. And most of the time, you know, it, it's in your head and it's thoughts and whatnot, but it's also, you know, just, just conversations that you have with yourself when you're traveling or when you're going places. And, you know, if you can weed out those negative thoughts and just stay on a positive path, I think you you're bound for for success and it's almost at a certain point like your your greatness is guaranteed because you've understood taking the time to understand yourself and that's really all you can count on everything else is just fleeting fleeting thoughts you know no absolutely and that's still where i have uh, a lot of work to do because I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm nowhere near where, where I want to be or, or, or where I could be. But as long as I can be aware and recognize the, the way I'm feeling, I think that's that's been helpful. But uh, the negative self-talk is real, man. And, like, you realize when you're a little lonely or, or when you're meditating, like, when you are really spending the most time with yourself. And I've learned from meditating is when you are sitting there and practicing for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, an hour, whatever it is, is when you truly understand the inner workings of your brain, when you can calm your mind and just, yeah, become more more present, more aware. Uh, but, yeah, that's still something. Yeah, I, I feel like I have no idea what that means yet. <laughs> but that's good, though. You know, you're asking the question. You're, you're seeking the knowledge. And I think taking that time to, to get better and to seek better and to want better, I think, is, is really powerful. And I think it's, it's a just thing to do. You know, I, th I think um, not investing in yourself, not having self-discipline, not having self-exploration, I think is really just, in a way, disrespectful to life itself. We have this opportunity and, and these amazing opportunities as humans that other versions of life don't have. And I think you know, the, the facets of the mind are, are so, so interesting and powerful and, and worth exploring that, you know, not doing that, I think you end up missing out. Absolutely. And that's why that's why Buddhism struck to me is is really being able to concentrate and figure like once you start concentrating on your mind, once you get that practice down, it's it's the next step is like cutting into your mind and figuring out exactly, you know, what's going on. And if you want to practice stoicism or, or or being more aware in life, I think that's when the practice comes to fruition. And that's, yeah, why, why I read that book. And, you know, psychedelics might be a cheat code, you know, me meditation and yoga and, and faith and practice of your faith really leads you to that in the long term. But I think nothing else can get to where you want to be unless you, you know, consistently practice that. And I think that also comes back to our, you know, thought, you know, what leads from thought to action. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, one of the things that I, I teach my, my clients is, you know, the day one mindset, and it starts with self-talk. And 
you know, once you understand that self-talk is important and, you know, the ability to just pay attention more to it, the next step that I teach him is your imagination is your real life. Like those, those ideas that you have of, you know, uh, inventing flying cars or traveling the world or, you know, marrying this amazing person, like that's your real life. And that's a, your preview to what your life is supposed to be. And I think once you can narrow those down, it helps you to weed out the negative and to weed out the things that you don't want. And I, and I think a lot of people don't, don't see the value in the negative as much as they should. Because if you can identify all the things in your life that you don't want or the things that you can't stand, then you can just gradually just get those out the way. You know, like I can't stand cigarette smoke. You're like, okay, well, I don't want to marry a smoker, you know, kind of thing. And if you can weed out those negative thoughts and those negative ideas or those negative uh, events, identify what they are for you, then really what you're left with is all the good things that are meant for you. And you can just obtain them a lot easier without struggle or strife. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes me think of uh, my mantra. You know, we, we, my friend and I learned about this. It's, yeah, and I mentioned this to you, but PMA, you know, that's, I don't have a tattoo yet, but that might be the first tattoo, but just having this positive mental attitude, right? Where, and it, it's, it's a, it's a little different than what you were saying, but it's, it's having the, and I, I've questioned it as well. Like most, more recently in my life, I haven't exuded this type of personality. I feel like I was more optimistic and, 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 and happy about life, you know, with my decisions. But then, I, you know, I started experiencing some, some social anxiety and, you know, am I really the funny and the cool one in this room or am I the one not engaging with anyone? But I think at the end of the day, you know, and this comes from also not judging people, just being open and curious, intellectually curious to learning about people. If you can put out that positive energy in the world, you know, the more you put out, the more you'll receive. And I've experienced that firsthand, Milan, where I've just made the decision. I've been intentional about, you know, being positive and being curious about people's lives, people's experiences, and, and wisdom in general. And that has taught me so much. And I, I've walked away from those experiences, you know, thinking differently, shaping my thoughts differently. And, you know, I hope to continue down that path as well. Yeah. I mean, even this conversation, this connection that we have now, I'm sure both of us attracted it, you know, and that's that's something that you you start to notice more of once you make those decisions, those mental decisions that you will attract exactly what you put out. Absolutely. And, and, and for those of the folks listening, if they don't know, you know, we met when I was doing an in-depth interview with, with Milan on, on fintech and emerging technologies within financial services. And we just had a great hour-long conversation. We connected and, you know, that's, that's how it led to where we are today. So we definitely attracted each other. Yes. <laughs> I never thought I'd say it, but I'm attracted to you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, likewise, man. Likewise. <laughs> Don't tell your wife or your kids, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She likes to fight, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, this has been uh, like like how I feel after a lot of the mental health chats I do, but just mentally very energized after after talking to them a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the big things, uh, you know, I, I've told you before is, you know, I want to add value to people as much as possible. And I think, you know, saying yes to myself and, and doing things like this podcast and starting it, while at the beginning it seemed very uh, scary to reveal myself and to re reveal my story, I was consoled by, by God telling me that the more I'm open with other people, the more that they'll be open with him and they'll have a more fuller life. And I've just seen how that's played out so much is, you know, me being open and saying yes to myself and saying yes to the scary things have led me to, you know, be there to encourage and, and uplift other people. So I'm really, I really, I, I'm, I think it's really cool when it all comes together and, you know, people say that they got something out of it. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate your time, man. And enjoy Columbia. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me and, and speaking to you and, and just getting to know you. And learning about, you know, the inner workings of your brain a little bit and your thoughts has been has been truly, truly inspiring. So uh, appreciate you, you know, coming into my life, Milan. Uh, and yeah, thank you. Awesome. 
Yeah, if you uh, I don't know how your Espanol is, but if you need any need any tidbits or whatever, you know, I got a master's degree in Spanish literature, so let me know. What? Okay, yeah, we we, we definitely have to have a, another talk about that because uh, I'll be taking classes uh, starting this weekend just to get back into the into the grind of things. So it's it's a barrier out here for sure. So yeah, we'd love to talk more about that. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll end with this. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam, brother. All right, man. We'll we'll be in touch. I'll edit this podcast out and uh, I'll send you the link, and it'll be up and ready by next Thursday. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. How would you rate it? Was it pretty good? Yeah, it was excellent. It was excellent. Yeah, I feel the same way, man. Thank you so much for for having me. I'm going to share this with all my friends and family and colleagues, obviously. Uh, and I can't wait to see where you're going from here, man. Cool. I'm I'm excited too. I will talk to you very soon. Have a good weekend. Take care of yourself. You too.